ESPN Radio. The Milwaukee Bucks escaped Game 1 against Chicago on Sunday after a seven-day hiatus between the end of the regular season and their first-round matchup. Looked a little rusty in that one, but they did an effective job doing exactly what they wanted to do and shutting down whatever Chicago wanted to do on Sunday. This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app series XM Channel 80, streaming live on ESPN Plus alongside Harry Douglas. I am Courtney Cronin, and we are presented by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet to us at Courtney R. Cronin at HDouglas83 at ESPN Radio. You can also join in the conversation on the Canty call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. We're going heavy on NBA playoffs today. I want to ask you, the listener, how justified was Kyrie Irving in his actions towards Boston Celtics fan during the Game 1 loss for the Nets at TD Garden? But if you want to talk about anything, NBA related. Uh, we'll take your calls. Triple eight say ESPN. So there's some level of concern out there, Harry, surrounding the Milwaukee Bucks, and that you know they they looked vulnerable. Like, oh dear goodness, this team looked vulnerable against the Chicago Bulls, and that was a game that if Chicago was going to steal one on the road, they had their chance, and their big three went cold. So. How do you look at this? Are you do you have any level of concern of the, for the Milwaukee Bucks right now? I mean, defensively, they're always a different team in the regular season as they are in the postseason, and that I think is what came out uh, yesterday, especially at the end of the game when Chicago couldn't make a shot to save their life, and Milwaukee didn't do them any favors. But do are, do we have any sort of level of concern here about where the Bucks stand in the overall hierarchy of the East? No, me personally, I don't, because one of the things we have to look at here, Courtney, is that the Milwaukee Bucks last played on April 10th. Mm-hmm. The game yesterday was on April 17th. They had seven days, and they came out a little rusty. I mean, it, it's, it's evident. These, this is a team that, is, that shoots a, a high percentage of threes each game. They weren't good from the three-point line, and my goodness, if they weren't good, the Chicago Bulls were terrible from the three-point line. So both teams actually struggled in this game. But I look at the history, especially last year with the Milwaukee Bucks. They went down 0-2 against the Brooklyn Nets. Now, granted, I know Kyrie got hurt, but they still came back and won that series. You look, uh, look at the series against the Atlanta Hawks. They started that series down uh, one game. They came back and won that series. Then you move along to the NBA Finals, the biggest stage at the highest level. Everybody wants to win that trophy. They started that series down 0-2 and came back to win the NBA Finals, and all those guys became champions. So for, for the Milwaukee Bucks, am I worried about them? No, because they understand this thing called defense. Now, if it's one thing that I'm worried about that, that I looked at during that basketball game was the turnovers. This team had 21 turnovers yesterday, and I think it's a testament to them that they were still able to win the game. Now, nine of those turnovers came in the fourth quarter, and that's where you definitely don't want those turnovers because that's crunch time. That's when you make your moves and make your mark and go on and try to will to get a win. But overall, I look at this team in full. I'm not worried about them because they have the guys. They have a Drew Holiday. They have a Giannis. um, They have a Chris Middleton. And I just don't think those guys, everybody, Giannis, he stepped up a little bit more. But I'll tell you this about Giannis. I need Giannis not to settle for those jump shots. I also don't like the fact that the Milwaukee Bucks try to run everything through Giannis as him being the facilitator. Let Drew Holiday do that. Let's, let Chris Middleton do that. Let Giannis go down underneath where he belongs because he lives in that paint area and he's basically unstoppable, right? Once they figured that out, that was some, something I think last year 
late in the playoffs that they started doing. Chris Middleton started running running the offense and getting everybody where they needed to be, especially when Giannis was out in that series against the Atlanta Hawks. Chris Middleton actually took over. Giannis can't come down the court dribbling the ball, being the facilitator. It has to be somebody else. But I will say I am not worried about this team one bit, and I think they're going to be all right. The only thing I'd be worried about is if Giannis gets into foul trouble again the way that he did on Sunday. Those 21 turnovers, is that a product of you know this team – being a little bit out of sync, sure. They did miss a lot of outside shots, but with Giannis getting into foul trouble the way that he did, that was the key and the pathway for Brooke Lopez to come up big in game one against the Bulls. Mm -hmm. Can you rely on that every single time? I'm not so sure. I mean, Giannis is an otherworldly player, and you need him on the floor, but if he's in foul trouble, that puts you at a vulnerable state. So the Bucs can easily in my opinion, get to a 2-0 series lead if they're able to do those things and, you know, tighten up some of the offense the way that they played in game one. Some of it looked pretty sloppy. That's something that Drew Holiday, Bucks guard, talked about following the win on Sunday. Take a listen. It's weird having five days off. And, yeah, we're playing against each other, but we're not. And we're going over their stuff, but we're not going against them. The intensity, uh, the atmosphere is different. So us going against each other in practice and doing the best we can, I, I think we did well with that. But sometimes when you come back with, with I mean, all five, all five days, sometimes you make these, these little mistakes and careless mistakes just because, you know, you're playing a full 48 minutes now. So I think there's a little bit of rust, um, especially with our shots. I think we missed a lot of good shots, a lot of wide open shots, especially from Giannis attracting so many people. But we'll, we'll knock them in. So tighten it up. That's that's basically what Drew Holiday is saying there. They had a lot of time off. They've got to get locked back in to playoff mode, and, and they certainly have the time to do that. This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Courtney Cronin, Harry Douglas taking you up to 7 p.m. Eastern time. So Giannis Antetokounmpo. Foul trouble, but he still had 27 points and 16 boards, played really good defense, um, and he got disrupted a lot. I think that's the reason, you know, the Bulls were trying so hard to get him that sixth foul, and they weren't, you know, they, they were, they put themselves in position to succeed there, but I think offensively, I mean, they're worried so much about that where they need to be worried about their offense, Harry. 60 points on 71 shots for DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, and Nikola Vucevic. Like, that's really, really bad. That's horrible production from your big three when this was the one chance that you probably had the entire series to steal one on the road. It doesn't feel like it's going to happen again. Certainly will not if that's the sort of production that you get from your stars. No, they were 21 for 71, and that's 29%. You can't have that from your big three. And a lot of those shots I thought was wide open looks that they got that they, they should have made. And deep into that ball game, when Giannis, when Alex Caruso drew the fourth and fifth foul on Giannis Antetokounmpo, I didn't think the Bulls did a great job of trying to get him to get that sixth one. I mm-hmm. thought they could have did a better job of that. But then they were down three, the Bulls were, and Vucevic missed a chippy around the basket. And it's a big difference when you're going back down that court late with some seconds left to defend the Milwaukee Bucks and you're down one versus being down three because you missed a chippy. And then Zach Levine came back and just shot up a, a prayer from the three-point line. I thought he could have got a better shot there. But if it was one game that the Chicago Bulls could have stolen one mm-hmm. and flipped a home court one. advantage, it should have been this game right here in game one. And Alex Caruso made it a one-point game when he made that layup with 136 remaining in the fourth quarter. But like you mentioned, they couldn't hit the broadside of a barn there. Zach Levine uh, 
drop the the 31 foot three pointer pull up attempt that he had. Um, Alex Caruso got in some foul trouble there. Demar Derozan was missing like shots that were like eight to ten feet out at the end of the fourth quarter. Just not a great look offensively for the Chicago Bulls who truly need to get it together if they want to be able to make this thing a five-game series and not a full sweep the way that it was during the regular season between these two teams. Also kind of feels like the Bulls, um, you know, this is one of the better teams in the East. They knew that going in, that that's what they would be do, who they would have to face, but they've got to find a way to score. You know, 32 points in the paint, five fast break points despite 21 turnovers. Take advantage of when your opponent is struggling. I don't understand why it's that difficult. But I will say this, Courtney. I thought Kobe White did a great job coming off the bench, adding that instant offense. Now, two people I think that need to play well moving forward, Javante Green and Derrick Jones uh, Jones Jr. Those two guys have to provide more than they did in game one for the Bulls to even have a shot. Be sure to tune in to the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Be sure to download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcast. Straight ahead, switching gears to the NFL, Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, and Terry McLaurin are all skipping on-field work during the off-season program. Who should get a deal first, and at what price point? We discuss next here on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. ESPN Radio. And radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and streaming live on ESPN. Plus, Courtney Cronin and Harry Douglas taking you up till 7 p.m. Eastern time. How justified was Kyrie Irving in his actions towards Boston fans during game one of the Nets Celtics series? Triple eight, say ESPN, 888-729-3776. Phone lines are open. Let's go out to Wolfie in Ohio, a longtime Celtics fan. What are your thoughts, Wolfie? You're on ESPN radio. Hi, Courtney. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm fine. As a lifetime Celtic fan um, and a Yankee fan, believe it or not, from Toledo, Ohio. Uh, the thing I, I get two things out of Kyrie. First of all, he's very selfish for not getting this vaccine. Uh, Stephen A. supposedly talked to uh, Magic and Larry Bird, and they asked them about it, and they said, if it was somebody on our team, we would have tied him down in a chair and gave him the vaccine ourselves. <laughs> okay, that being said, um, which I think he's a very selfish ball player. But then, as my dad used to tell me as a young boy, mean what you say and say what you mean. 
when he played for the Celtics, you know, he was all lovey-dovey with Boston, and he wanted to end his career with Boston, and then all of a sudden he's, he's gone. So the Celtics fans have all the right to give him as much grief as they possibly can without throwing water bottles on the court with just verbally taunting him. I agree 100%, and I would do it if I was there. Wolfie, thanks so much for the call. I I think there comes a point, Harry, where it becomes too much when water bottles or other projectiles are being launched towards athletes in the field of play when those are when emotions boil over to the point of no return. But if it's strictly trash talk and where it's not becoming completely obscene, and yes, there were some words that were exchanged between Kyrie Irving and fans and some finger gestures and stuff that is not FCC-friendly – but within the realm of like what this is, a player who does not like this fan base and this fan base who does not like this one player, it kind of feels like all bets are off and this is fair game because both sides have beef with each other and are not doing anything to calm that down. Yeah, I just think as long if, if, if things don't get physical and then you have objects being thrown or Kyrie going in the stands, you let bygones be bygones and – just enjoy the play of the players on the on the court. Enjoy the the rowdiness that the fans bring, and I think everything is going to be cool. Now, it becomes a problem when the things that I just mentioned start to take place and start to happen. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's going to get there because Kyrie mentally is 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 in a different state. I don't think he's going to go in the stands and try to fight somebody because there's a whole lot of stuff that comes with that, and you don't want that. We've seen the malice in the palace. We've seen all these things transpire before in the NBA and we don't want it again but he does have the right to defend himself and that's that's one of the things you you gotta if if you can dish it you gotta be able to take it you gotta be able to give it back and that whole ordeal this is ESPN radio on the ESPN app Sirius XM channel 80 ESPN plus so it's been a pretty good six weeks or so since free agency started for the wide receiver market Tyreek Hill ends up getting what he wants. He moves over to the Dolphins from the Kansas City Chiefs. He makes a massive amount of money in the process, a total of $72.2 million guaranteed on his new contract. Devontae Adams forces his way out of Green Bay to the Oakland to the Las Vegas Raiders and gets $65.7 million totally guaranteed. Devon Diggs also breaking the bank and gets a nice new contract for himself with the Buffalo Bills. And, Right now, it's voluntary workouts, off-season programs beginning for all 32 teams this week for those who have not already started. And we find out that Debo Samuel, wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers, A.J. Brown of the Tennessee Titans, and Terry McLaurin are all expected to skip on-field work during their respective teams' programs amid a push for new contracts. Now, we know that Debo and A.J. are not planning to show up to the 49ers and Titans uh, off-season programs, respectively. And granted, like, want to remind you, this is voluntary, and that word does mean something important here. <laughs> Terry McLaurin is is going to be with the Washington Commanders, but apparently not expected to take part in his on-field workouts. So there's, hold, there's the hold-in aspect, which, of course, as it gets towards training camp where fines are not forgiven for missing days of practice, uh, that plays into effect here. But nonetheless, these three are looking for new contracts. And I can't really blame them for wanting to make a statement here because these three have to be looking at someone like Christian Kirk in specific saying, if this dude is making $18 million a year 
coming off a season that he had, which was fine, but not like upper echelon elite with the Arizona Cardinals and the contract that he just landed with the Jacksonville Jaguars. If I if I'm them, I'm looking around saying there's no way in heck that I'm not going to be getting something similar, if not better than that, and it's coming this season. Rightfully so, and, and I will say this, uh, another guy uh, that you just mentioned, Kristen Kirk, he wasn't even the number one receiver on his team. Now, that may have happened because of injury, but going into the season, he was not the number one guy. Going into the season for all those other guys, they were going to be the number one. You look at a guy like A.J. Brown, um, I think his first year he had over 900 yards receiving, the last two over 1,000, and I think 24 touchdowns uh, totally. You look at a guy like Debo Samuel, who can do it catching the football, who can do it running the football. If you want to put him on returns, he can do that. Now, Debo had the one year uh, prior to last year where he got hurt when he only played about seven games. Uh, but I don't think that's a reason why you don't give him the money because he had production at a high level uh, with over 800 yards in his first year. Had over 1,400 last year receiving. And then not to mention what he did coming out of the backfield. Uh, sure. Terry McLaurin, we've seen he's meant everything to Washington besides Antonio Gibson. I don't even know who you can say, I and mean, Logan Thomas, but he's not at the level as, as Terry McLaurin. He played here against the Atlanta Falcons. I remember watching that game like, my goodness, can we stop this kid? Can we, can we stop the man from making a play? But he's meant everything to Washington and that organization. And the funny thing about this is all these guys in the same draft class, if I'm not mistaken, all these guys are, and if not the same draft class or second-round draft picks yep. and, 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 and longer. So I like the fact that they're standing up for what they believe in. And this is what, this is what I want fans to start understanding. Stop saying that these players are obligated to a contract. They know their worth. So if you know your worth, do what you have to do to get your money. Because I don't see the same gripes when organizations have a contract for a player and they cut that player and break the stipulations of the contract that they had from that end. We got to stop as people siding with billionaire owners and being mad at players for doing what's best for them and their families. I remember going through this when I was, uh, I think, my second year going into the league. Roddy White, I played with him, my brother from another mother. He held out, and no one took it personal. We knew what he was doing. We knew what his worth was, and he, he, he stayed out until he got the money he deserved. It, it, it's common. It's what a lot of guys do, but stop saying that these guys are selfish because they make those decisions. No, those guys aren't selfish. They just know their worth, and they're not going to let you rob Peter and pay Paul. And to to expand upon your point here, they're all all three of them are going into the final year of their rookie contracts. They were all drafted during the 2019 draft, all second round picks as well, which was you know a good point that you brought up. Shows you just like the depth of the, of the receiver classes that we've seen come out the last couple years, where this is typically the time. Like no one, I'm sorry, like no one plays out the length of their contract if you've been a superstar talent and not someone not, not 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 at all. And Debo Samuel, for example, on this, um, you know, was an All Pro player and a Pro Bowl player this year. Of course, he's going to want to get his money. A.J. Brown was a Pro Bowl player during his second season in 2020. Of course he's going to want to get his money. So I don't think you can fault these guys. And like you had mentioned and you brought up, every single one of these receivers has meant more than just being an outside threat 
for the quarterback. So they, the offense ran through Debo Samuel in San Francisco this past season. When A.J. Brown is healthy, he's the best receiver that the Tennessee Titans have. Terry McLaurin, they don't have an offense in Washington unless he's there. And, you know, if, I'm, if I want – he's probably wanting some hazard pay here too because he has to play with Carson <laughs> Wentz this season. But yes, quickly, before, I know, before we have to go to break, um, who, which of these three receivers do you feel like gets the deal first considering their values to their respective team? Is there somebody that's, you know, rising to, to like, the top for you with this list? To me, it's Debo Samuel because of the season he just had. But I think you can make an argument for the, the other two easily. I'm going to say A.J. Brown just with the simple fact that the Titans have played in the ASC championship game before. Um, they made the playoffs the last three years. Uh, they was the number one seed last year. And I've seen this offense uh, without a Derrick Henry how A.J. Brown is meant to it, and even with Derrick Henry, what he's meant to Ryan Tannehill in that pass game that they have in Tennessee. So I'm going to go with A.J. Brown first. All right, Debo, A.J., and Terry McLaurin all not expected to be part of on-field workouts when their teams begin those things this week during the voluntary portion of the offseason program amid contract holdouts potentially what those could develop into here down the line we'll see who gets paid first straight ahead did we see enough to put the 76ers back into the championship contender category or are they still pretenders we get into that next year on espn radio and espn plus ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. Call or click Progressive.com today. This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and streaming live over on ESPN+. Courtney Cronin and Harry Douglas taking you up until 7 p.m. on the East Coast. You can tweet to us at Courtney R. Cronin, at HDouglas83, at ESPN Radio. You can also join in the 
the conversation on the Canty call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. So all game ones have been played. There have been a lot of overreactions, maybe some underreactions, things that are justified, things that are not. So we decided that we're going to play our own game of overreactions, uh, whether we think things are overreactions or not. And to do that, we're going to welcome in our producer, Shannon Penn. Shannon, what do you got? Well, thank you very much for that nice uh, introduction there, Courtney. You're welcome. All right, I will give you guys a hot take, a hot overreaction, and you got to tell me whether or not it's an overreaction or an underreaction. So here we go. Harry, I will start with you. Tyrese Maxey is more vital to Philadelphia's success than James Harden. Is that an Shannon, overreaction? This, this is an overreaction yes. because at some point, James Harden is going to have to be the Robin that he was supposed to be to Joel Embiid. Now, see, right now, he's getting by because of the emergence of a Tyrese Maxey who stepped up ever since the James Harden trade and Tobias Harris with his 26 points in the first game against the Toronto Raptors. But James Harden is not going to be able to hide for long. It's going to come a series where he's going to have to be that Robin. And if he's not going to be that Robin, then the, the, the city of Philadelphia will have a lot to say about it. So I'm going to go with overreaction. I don't think it's an overreaction. Uh... Tyrese Maxey picked up the slack in a very, very big way, not just for James Harden, but for Joel Embiid in game one. Embiid had 19 points on 5 of 15 shooting. James Harden, 22 points on 6 of 17 shooting. So clearly, when they're struggling from the field, they need to find that secondary option. And it's Tyrese Tyrese, uh, Maxey and Tobias Harris if it's not Joel Embiid and James Harden. And, And contrary to your point here, Harry, I don't think we can trust that that version of James Harden is eventually going to show up because it hasn't in the playoffs uh, throughout his career. That's been the proverbial monkey he's had to get off of his back. And I know he says he's not worried, but I'm worried because I don't want the 76ers team to be a facade, which it could very well turn out to be here. But Tyrese Maxey has been awesome this year. Like He gets a chance at 21 years old in his second NBA season to be the starting point guard for a contending team, and then he's had to learn how to play with one of the game's most ball-dominant stars in James Harden. And he's done that, and he's done a very good job of that, being himself and also being what the team needs when Harden isn't showing up. So I do think that he is probably going to be more important from a consistency level here than James Harden for the 76ers in the postseason. That's key. Can we trust James Harden? That's the big question. Can we? All right, Courtney. The Memphis Grizzlies should be on upset alert. Is that an overreaction? I do think that is an overreaction. I think that the Minnesota Timberwolves played great in game one on on Saturday. And the celebrating that they did during the play-in tournament to get into the playoffs is warranted at this point. I don't know, though, if we're looking a little bit in a – if we're maybe looking at this in a vacuum right now. Carl Anthony Towns showed up. But we've seen what happens in games when he doesn't show up. And, yes, the other night the the Timberwolves got better when he was off the floor, but that's not something that's sustainable. I mean, you need Carl Anthony Towns to be the best two-way player on the floor. So I'm not so sure that the Timberwolves are going to make this like a seven-game series and all of a sudden we're looking at them as a second-round matchup uh, in the West. But, you know, the Grizzlies have to get it together. I'm just not putting them on upset alert just yet. I'm going to go with, I do not think this is an overreaction. When I look at this Timberwolves team, they have three guys that can score the basketball at will. And in game one, 
one of those guys, D'Angelo Russell, he wasn't at his best. But you want to know who was? Anthony Edwards. Yeah, they call him Ant-Man. And, yes, they need to give him the suit and everything that he needs to be in one of those Marvel movies because he not only did he show up in the play-in game, he showed up in game one against the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, they wanted that smoke, but guess what? They weren't the ones going up the chimney. Car Anthony Towns, he showed up. I love Patrick Beverly and what he brings to this team as well, not to mention they had a key piece coming off the bench who played a vital role for them, a guy named Malik Beasley. Now, if these guys can keep this up, Memphis might be in trouble, and the smoke might be going a different direction for them. This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and streaming live on ESPN+. Plus. He's Harry Douglas. I'm Courtney Cronin. We're kicking it back over to Shannon Penn. We'll play a little game here of NBA playoff game one over reactions with a bunch of hot takes mm-hmm. coming your way. What's the next one, Shannon? All right, all right, Harry, here we go. The Golden State Warriors death lineup is impenetrable. Is that an overreaction? Yes, that's an overreaction. That's an overreaction because I've seen the best of that lineup, and that was added with a guy named Kevin Durant. Now, at that moment, I think it was like that. But right now, no. Because, but even though they still have guys that can score the basketball at will and can shoot the lights out of and shoot the death into people, I do not feel like that, 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 that small ball lineup is going to be a lineup that gets them over the hump. Now, it's going to play an important piece but when they get to the, let's just say the Eastern Conference, when they got to play a team in the finals, if they make it that far, they can't play that small ball lineup. They get, who going to guard Joel Embiid if the Sixers make it? Yeah, I mean, unless you want to put Draymond on him. Because when, he's, when they are going death lineup, if we're still calling it that, that's the original name that was created during the 14-15 championship run for the Warriors. And it's something that continued, as Harry mentioned, during the Durant era. Um, like... I just think that this thing has its weaknesses. Like, it works to a point, but when you have size and length, you're trying to defend from a big man who should win the MVP award, in my opinion, but probably won't because it's going to Nikola Jokic. Um, How are you going to defend Joel Embiid shooting the three with this lineup? I don't think it's possible. So, you know, it worked. It was great in game one. Like, really cool seeing the five minutes that Curry... Jordan Poole, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, and uh, Draymond Green put together. They outscored Denver by 14 points. They went on to win game one, 123-107. That's a scary sight when it works, but I don't think this is something that you can fall back on as a fail-safe every single time and expect the same results. Um, We're going to do some more Game 1 reactions, Game 1 overreactions, maybe some underreactions later in the show, uh, bringing you the hot takes from all of the Game 1 action in the NBA playoffs. And by the way, the NBA playoffs are on ESPN Radio. Be sure to tune in tonight for 76ers and Raptors Game 2 action. Coverage begins 7 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. Straight ahead, the Cleveland Browns are breaking the bank, giving Denzel Ward a five-year, 100 million extension. We discuss next here on ESPN Radio.
ESPN Radio. Courtney Cronin and Harry Douglas with you on ESPN Radio, streaming live on ESPN+. Plus. The Cleveland Browns awarded Denzel Ward a five-year, $100.5 million extension today, sources telling ESPN's Adam Schefter. Denzel Ward now the highest-paid cornerback in NFL history. He was a 2018 draft pick, uh, fourth overall that year in 52 games. 10 interceptions, two of which he returned for touchdowns, and 50 passes defended. So he resets the market here, Harry. Did you expect this to happen? Was somebody rising above Jalen Ramsey here as the highest-paid cornerback? His salary was $20 million per season, the one they signed with the Rams. And now Denzel Ward just edging him a little bit to a $20.1 million average annual salary. Yeah, I was expecting Denzel Ward to get paid but not be the highest guy uh, at the cornerback position when you think about the NFL now, I will tell you some of the things that he does very, very well. He's a guy that can play man coverage. And I just want to go back to a lot of people just look at the game stuff. Think about who he went against in practice the years he, he's been in Cleveland. You went against a Odell every day. You went against a guy named Jarvis Landry every day. So that does nothing but build your confidence when you go out there and play football against other guys on other teams because most of the time you're not going to go against two guys who are going to be better than those guys that you practice against every single day. You mentioned the 50 pass deflections. That is very, very huge, 10 interceptions. I would like to see more interceptions. Now, I think the reason why we don't see that many is because people aren't looking to throw his way so much. Sure. But I love what he presents to the game. I love him on this Cleveland Browns team. And when you have a guy that can play man coverage and pop – most of the time, locked down one side of the field. It's a major bonus for your team. This is a big deal for the Cleveland Browns as far as like moving past the period where they had poor drafting, awful results. Yeah. Um, they've got somebody now that's going to be under contract with them for a very, very long time, six more seasons. So that takes him through the 2027 season. Uh, that's a big deal. Because when you have your secondary solidified and when you've got a lot of moving parts there and one player who's going to kind of control and be the calming presence back there, I think that's huge. And, you know, it's something that I don't know when the next cornerback we're going to see reset the market like that because $20.1 million is a whole lot uh, on an average annual salary for a cornerback. And I don't know, like, what the market, where the market's headed towards here. But, you know, good for the Cleveland Browns and, and more so good for Denzel Ward for, for making this thing work here. I mean, he's already got a second contract here, and, and it was certainly proving his worth to this organization over other players uh, who did not. Straight ahead, Colin Kaepernick says he's willing to be a backup quarterback in the NFL. we get into that next. This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, streaming live on ESPN Plus. Courtney Cronin and Harry Douglas with you until 7 p.m. on the East Coast. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet at us at Courtney R. Cronin at HDouglas83 at ESPN Radio. You can also join in the conversation on the Canty Call-In line. We'll take your calls on the NBA, on the NFL, whatever you want to talk about on this Monday. But I really want to know how justified was Kyrie Irving with his actions towards Boston Celtics fans during Game 1. The number to get in, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. We were just talking a little NFL there with Cleveland, the Cleveland Browns awarding Denzel Ward a five-year, $100.5 million extension, making him the highest-paid cornerback in the league 
Now we turn our attention to the quarterback position. Colin Kaepernick once again talking about his willingness to be a backup quarterback in the NFL if a team is willing to give him a shot. We heard, we first heard him say this during Michigan's spring game a couple weeks ago when he was on I Am Athlete talking about his willingness to take a backup job. Here, take a listen. If an opportunity presented itself today and they said, we want to bring you in as the backup, would you take that? Yeah. You'll take that. If an opportunity- I, I, I know I have to find my way back in. Okay. So, yeah, if I have to come in as a backup, that's fine. But that's not where I'm, that's not where I'm staying. And when I prove that I'm a starter, I want to be able to step on the field as such. I just need that opportunity right. to walk through the door. That was Colin Kaepernick, free agent quarterback, who has not played since the 2016 season on the I Am Athlete podcast. That question came from former NFL wide receiver Brandon Marshall. Now, here's my question, Harry. This is a time of year where spring football leagues pop up and the USFL just debuted over the weekend. If Colin Kaepernick is serious about playing in the National Football League, why wouldn't he take an opportunity to at least showcase what he looks like in an actual game setting and not just these, you know, the routes on air that he's throwing to receivers at the college level? We saw it at a pro day a couple of years ago and outside of the Atlanta area. Like, why not further your case and show I'm serious about this by actually being on a team when you have 10 other guys around you on offense? Like, am I crazy for thinking that? No, you're not. But first, let me say this, Courtney. I do think it's ridiculous that Colin Kaepernick doesn't have a job um, for kneeling and during the national anthem for, for a cause that I think a lot of people got misconstrued. So let me say that first and foremost, because I actually played against Colin Kaepernick um, back in 2012 when I was with the Atlanta Falcons. We went to the AF- NFC Championship game, and we lost to the San Francisco 49ers in Kaepernick. I remember watching him run on the football field like a gazelle. Now, I've had heard he does throw the football pretty hard. Need to work on his touch a little bit. Certain passes you can't throw all the time, 190 miles per hour. But I will say this. He should have been on a roster and should be on a roster, even as a backup. Or if not a backup, a third-string guy, right? He, 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 that's just point-blank period. I, I thought he was that decent enough to be on a team. Now, in saying that, I agree with what you said. If he wants to play football that bad, there's a league called the USFL. Mm-hmm that just started, right? They had games this weekend. Go out there and show people what you can do in a team setting with the pad zone, reading defenses, and that you can still play the game of football at a very, very high level, right? Sometimes uh, we have to sacrifice. We can't just think we have it the way it used to be, right? Those times are over with right now for him. So to, to show teams and showcase himself um, in a football setting, I think the best right now is the USFL. Do I still think he can play in the National Football League? Yes, but not as a starter, but getting those practice reps, being around the guys again, being on the football field, and possibly working his way to that, uh, possibly and maybe. But until that time comes, I'm jumping on any and everything in situation that I can get to, to play football any way to showcase my talents and that I can still play football at a very, very high level, but that's not what he's doing. And that's what I feel like some people are skeptical about Colin Kaepernick and his actual want to play football because he's had opportunities. Have they not been in the National Football League? Correct. But think about how many years he's been out in all of the leagues that have either po- that have popped up. Some of them went defunct, like the AAF, but the XFL was around, and that, you know, 
went quiet during co- because of COVID, but it's back soon, and the USFL around now, and it's not like he would have to do something like the fan-controlled football league, and, and not putting any slight on that, but if he wants to play serious football where there are former NFL coaches and former NFL players trying to find the spotlight and shine in that spotlight for their chance to get to the big leagues, then he has a chance to do it. I just feel like at this point that skepticism is actually – it has some credence to it because he's had a chance to prove that he deserves that he belongs and and, and he just hasn't been able to, he just hasn't taken that opportunity to show it uh real quick i want you to hear from colin kaepernick on the i am athlete podcast about why he believes he's not going to be a distraction to nfl teams take a listen when you're talking about the people that are actually in the building that has never come out that i've been a distraction it's never come out that i've been an issue from the people i played with cap can i keep it real with you cap this is between you and I. Don't tell nobody. $16 billion industry cap. What about our fan base? What do we say to our fan base? Like, how, like what are they going to say? I say you have and racism in the back of your end zone. You got Black Lives Matter on your helmet. Mm. <laughs> Everything I've said should be in alignment with what you're saying publicly. Mm. <laughs> it's a $16 billion business. When I, first, when I first took a knee, my jersey went to number one. When I did the deal with Nike, their value increased by $6 billion. $6 billion. Mm. Would it be? Straight ahead, does Kevin Durant have to play at a superstar level for Brooklyn to win this series? Next, ESPN Radio.